All right, welcome to another episode of Scale Up Soundbites. We are broadcasting live to you all. Well, not really live, but broadcasting from our Surrey Hills office. Uh, today, I am delighted to be joined by a good friend of mine and uh, CTO of Stream, Antoine Sabrin. Uh, Antoine is quite possibly the second best looking <laughs> French CTO in this building right now. He's a guy on level two. His all name right. is Francois. I don't know if he's a CTO. I'd love to meet him, though. Yeah. <laughs> he's pretty good looking. Um, but a uh, uh, little bit about uh, Antoine. He's also a dad of uh, two children, a journey that we kind of went on, the, on, the, um, on at this similar time together. Um, and he's also uh, been uh, one co-founder on Stream and uh, has built it from the ground up to a point of now that's just recently exited. So we're going to talk a lot about that, uh, what it's like to build a technology startup, and uh, yeah, and just the learning lessons of around being a dad and how it's applied to uh, being a technology leader, mate. So thanks so much for coming to the show. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Great to be here. Yeah, no problem. My first question is, why are we doing this here instead of on a beach celebrating <laughs> with a couple of margaritas? Okay, you know, there's still more work to do. There's always <laughs> more work to do. Uh, all right, cool, cool. Mate, um, First of all, I wanted to talk about like streaming itself. Like, I came across you guys because I just, um, I think a bunch, we, we used to work in the same building. And yes, that's right. I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I came across it, did a bit of research on it, and immediately I was drawn to the business because I actually used to work for your competitor. And uh, yeah, not water, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we don't need to mention who they are. <laughs> but um, what was immediately blown away of your product because it offers what, like a unique user experience and um, data across um, uh, all of the different media assets and uh, you guys managed to disrupt the, the industry pretty pretty quickly um, given like the, the ramp up and scale of the business, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did, we did you know, get pretty successful pretty quickly, which was uh, yeah, an amazing result. Amazing result. Very happy with that. And yeah, that's, that's still ongoing, of course, because uh, it was an industry that was quite a bit of a monopoly in Australia. Um, yeah. And that's actually where it came from because our We'll talk about it later, but uh, uh, our founder, Elgar Welch, used to work in this industry and was frustrated with the existing tools that didn't really, um, you know, uh, became what you expect them to be at, yeah. uh, at that point in time. Um, so, yeah. That's yeah right. right for disruption, by the sound of it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's start from the grassroots, mate. Why did you yeah. get into software engineering in the first place? Right. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess I was... You know, maybe not one of these uh, computer genius in a basement, but I always loved, you know, tinkering with, you know, electronic appliances and video games. And and when my parents got a computer, I, you know, got pretty excited and started, yeah, um, working on with this. Um, and that was probably, you know, when I was, what, 12-ish years old, uh, around, yeah, 2000. Uh, but they didn't get a Mac at the time, and I do remember... <laughs> Having a friend that had this video game that I really wanted to play, and he gave me the floppy disk, and then when I tried to install it, it just didn't work out. And I was very confused until I realized, yes, there's Windows and oh. PCs and there's Mac. You know, that was probably the, the big learning at the time. Uh, but you yeah, know, I, I always enjoyed that. And then I think, yeah, on a few years later, we got first, you know, PC and internet connection, and up, you know, I guess I enjoyed the idea of putting something together on the internet, because at the time that was really the, the, the new hot, cool thing. Um, so I 
I remember you know putting some websites together uh, using at the time that tool called Microsoft Front Page, uh, which was yeah. very uh, fun, but probably also very uh, uh, clunky. Um, but yeah, I put together some websites like you know video games website uh, like to talk about, and then like put a forum for the, my high school class at the time. So. Um, you know, trying to do something that was fun but also useful yeah. uh, always attracted me. Um, and I always enjoyed the creative side of it. You know, it, something that comes out of your brain, you can bring it to life uh, on the screen and make it useful to people. So I, I, I did, yeah, I always sort of enjoyed that. Um, but the thing is that, at least at the time, software engineering was not really um, seen as a really... Uh, great career in France. So oh, really? I did go to, um, you know, I made it to a pretty good engineering school and everyone went, wanted to go to, um, you know, management consulting or finance or audit and all these things. Uh, and so I, I, as a result, we didn't really do much software at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially not any web development software. But then there were some of the clubs, uh, you, know, you know, like the networking club, or there was, um, what they used to call that junior enterprise, like a sort of student consulting services so they were doing some projects for companies so that's where i did um you know my first sort of proper software web development um uh as a i guess as a bit more than a hobby mm. um and that's also where i came across um at the time uh, for some ruby on rails yep. uh, which is a framework we use uh, still that's to this day and yeah back way. in 2008 there was really the, the new hot thing uh, and that was yeah quite amazing how quick and easy it was to to set up some you know fairly complex applications. Um, yeah, so I went through that and then I moved to uh, Sydney Uni here in Australia um, for an exchange. Um, but same again, there was not that much software engineering either. So I ended up not actually doing any, not much proper computer science or software courses. So a lot of what I learned was you know from the internet and just. Yep. Uh, trial and error, um, yeah, and that's how I got into it. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, it's super interesting that um, that you just bring that back that in France and yeah, probably around here as well. That back then, so early two thousands, software engineering wasn't just a popular thing of what you got into. In yeah, I don't think it was too highly regarded. Uh, you know, it was more for maybe because yeah, uh, at the time we didn't have all these sort of big tech companies that were very successful and also paying really well yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as much as they do now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that probably turned off some people from doing software careers, which, which is a shame because now we, you know, we need a lot more of them. Uh, but I, yeah, I think that's getting better. Yeah, for sure. No, it definitely is. Definitely is. All right, cool. So from there to fast forward a few years, um, setting up screen, and being CTO. So was it always a goal of yours to become a CTO? Um, probably not directly a goal in itself. I, I do remember you know, being at high school and looking at these careers book and advice and there was, you know, there, there was like computer IT software and one of the role I remember was uh, called DSI as a director of the system de formation in French, which stands for CIO really. And that sounded pretty fancy. And I thought, yeah, maybe that, that's a cool thing. Because being just a software developer, as I was saying, was not really highly regarded. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I still wanted to be technical. Um, I enjoy coding, um, I enjoy putting things together, but I also really wanted to be adding, you know, value uh, 
as in understanding the business, understanding the product, and really coming together with a solution. And so what happened is um, I did get an internship um, in Paris um, at the time I was studying, uh, and I did a company that was a software consulting company. And that's where I realized and learned that there's really two different type of software consulting. There's some companies, there's the one that are just, you know, providing developer resources and they just do what they're told to do. Uh, and there's lots, lots of them and they're not necessarily, you know, the best place to work at. Uh, but then some others are more on the, I guess, on the higher end of the market where it's really they provide knowledge and and uh, strategic decision around you know what technology to use, what to go for to really solve the business um, issue and, and and provide the most value. And that, that's sort of the angle that I enjoy more because I wanted to be a, not just code, not just being a code monkey, yeah, yeah, yeah. but really um, yeah, adding adding more value to to solve you know uh, business problems and bring value in the, in the best uh, way possible. So I did this in, that internship. Uh, yeah, and really enjoyed that. And that company was quite, uh, I guess, ahead of its time, you know, with all this sort of software testing and automation and yeah, just delivering more with less work because really the, at the end of the day, the goal is not to code. The, the goal is to help businesses. Yeah. Yeah, you touched on a pretty good point there. It's like um, when I speak to people, particularly when they're hiring, building their teams, what they look for. But um, like... One of the best, uh, good friend of mine, Paul Napier, who I do a bit of work for, his, his go-to question in the interview is, um, what's the role of a software engineer? And it's you just touched on that. It's not just to sit there and be a code monkey, to write code, write rules, it's to solve problems. Yeah. How do you do that? All right, well, we use code, but we could also do other things. So first, we want to know what the problem is. All right, well, if it's something that we can solve without writing code, we don't have to. I can just direct you in the right direction, but it's knowing how to do that around that sort of technology as well. Exactly right, yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, that's what I enjoy in that role is really being, you know, the, the, the connection between the business and the technology and, and people and, yeah, making sure we, we, we uh, do it in the best way where really yeah, we focus on what matters to the business yep. so much, yeah, with the help of technology. Um, and so, yeah, the title was never really too much of a thing, you know, I uh, worried about or cared about. And I think actually... Uh, um, it was the same for my for uh, for uh, yeah, my business partner who also founded Stream, and I think we only called ourselves CEO and CTO when we reached like something like fifty or sixty employees. Really? Until that, we were just you know business lead and tech uh, lead. Um, but yeah, that's at some point yeah. That would be the first thing I did. Yeah. <laughs> Point number one, CTO on my business card. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I felt that was maybe a bit tacky <laughs> to, to do this when when you've got you know no employees, <laughs> yeah. just two guys in a in a in the living room or basement to call yourself CTO and CEO. I know, I Sounds know. a bit too, too much. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, all right, well, that leads us to the next thing. What, what led you guys to start stream? Yeah, yeah, so, so I think a pretty uh, good, maybe fairly standard story. But yeah, so I met um, uh, Elgar Welsh, who's, who's the original founder of stream uh, through university. Um, we were not actually together at the same time, but we were part of the same um, club that we were helping uh, to run on the committee, so organizing events uh, for the selling club, actually. Of, uh, oh, for selling? Yeah, it's university, which I got into because I always enjoy, you know, uh, water sports. You can't and sell, yeah? Yes, yeah, yeah. and that's one of the reasons I came to Australia, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to my exchange. Um, 
And so, you know, I finished my degree uh, and I got a job and visa to stay in the country and I sort of stayed involved in the club and he was uh, there at that time. So we met there. And so what he did when he finished his degree, which was, I think, in political science and communications, he went on to work as a media advisor for the Labour government at the time. And uh, so, yeah, his job was to stay on top of news um, and help the team decide what to do about what's you know been uh, happening and discussing the news so whether it's good or bad and and how to respond and so um he had tools to help him do this uh but they were provided by our competitor at the time uh and they were pretty you know slow and clunky and he felt yeah they were not you know they they, they had to be better be yeah they, they, they could be better so what happened is when the government changed uh and and everyone gets rolled uh you know he had a bit of time on his hand and so he was in, like, working for the minister then when they were in power? Yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think he already had sort of been, you know, tinkering around and, and working with some contractors to build maybe some sort of, um, you know, news publication website in the past or connecting journalists together. This sort of thing, like, in, 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 the, in this area. Hmm. And so, yeah, when that happened, he, he thought it was, there was a good opportunity to build a better media monitoring product um, than what he was using when, when he was in doing his job. Um, so he got some of the freelancers to start working on this. Um, and I think after a few months, in, he mentioned that to me and he asked me for some help because he knew I was working uh, as a software engineer in an agency at the time. Mm. Um, asked me if I could be helping with a few little things here and there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, before you know it, we had just started working with him like every evening. Uh, I was still living in a share house at the time with some friends and okay. you know, we had all my friends just drinking and partying and we were in a corner of a living room just, uh, you know, <laughs> hacking building, away, yeah, building, hacking doing away, things. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they were making fun of us, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, that was, a couple, uh, couple that was of good geeks. Stuff, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and after uh, I think a year and a half or so, yeah, we, we started getting our first paying customers. Uh, through some of these networks, you know, people who work in the labor government or, um, and uh, yeah, I, I'd, around that time I also got my permanent residency um, and uh, I ended up, you know, taking a leave of faith and quitting my job Yep. Uh, and then going within full time to see where they would take us. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. How good. Um, what was that like, mate, like um, taking that risk? Like when did you think you knew you were onto something? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's never really, I felt it was never really part of a big plan where, you know, we knew what we were doing. It was very much always a day-to-day, -day like, hey, we're doing this thing, and then, oh, we could also do this thing. And then, and of course, as we, you know, did get some traction, it was like, well, we need to do more to, to grow faster. So, you know, either we hire people or we raise money to hire people, or, well, I need to be full-time on it myself yeah, because, sure. you know, it was just not sustainable. Um, so yeah, you know, I'd saved a bit of, of money. I was yeah, still in a share house, like a student, so I yeah. didn't spend too much. So I was like, idea. you know what, let's just give it a try for a few months and, uh, yeah, see how we go. Yeah. Just cracked on. Yeah. All right. Oh, good. All right, cool. Um, well, from, from that, I guess the next question would be, what do you think would be the three most important lessons that you've learned from scaling up? Uh, I guess I was going to focus specifically on the technology team. From what you just shared, I think just working in that startup space. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, of course, I mean, it's pretty obvious, but the first one would be just it's hard. It's very, very hard to uh, to 
grow a team. Um, uh, the first, you know, reason being, of course, uh, hiring is very difficult. It's very time-consuming, mm-hmm. and it's it's difficult when you're a small uh, startup because there's so many competing priorities, right? So hiring is a more of a long-term thing, or medium-term, uh, versus you know, every day you've got features to add, uh, bugs to fix, uh, you know, new release to ship. So taking the time to to do the work to you know hire is is, is uh, quite difficult because you always feel like you could be doing something else instead, uh, and and it doesn't really often you know putting ads up or you know uh, scouting through LinkedIn or going through resumes feels like yeah it's not really getting you um, mm. to getting someone quickly so it can be uh, can be quite frustrating uh, and it's overwhelming as well because there's so many different channels uh, you probably know that <laughs> better than anyone else but you know you've got ads on the all the generic websites, you got ads on the specialized websites, you got you know Slack communities, you got meetups and events and conferences, and then recruiters, uh, and there are lots of them, and you know uh, some are very helpful, some less <laughs> so. Uh, so all that yeah can can be uh, very time-consuming and overwhelming, mm-hmm. and and yeah that makes it very hard to hire. Um, but of course you do have to hire because on your own you can move very fast. But yeah. as I say, you can't you know you go further if you got more people. Um, so yeah, that's I suppose uh, you know the first big lesson. It's, it's very hard, uh, but it's yeah, it's it's worth it because when you get someone uh, and and they're great, and you realize you always ask yourself, what didn't we do that earlier? Yeah, hundred oh, percent. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. um, percent. Yeah, that's no, very difficult. And I always find it was a bit of a you know almost an emotional roller coaster, similar to dating in a sense, because yeah. you know you get excited about finding someone great, and then they. Don't take up the offer, and then, <laughs> and then you're sad. Yes. And then you have to try again. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh. So that that's one of the big one, um, and yeah. So hiring and growing, and even yeah, when you find someone good and they're keen, uh, of course you know you're a small scrappy startup. You don't have you know the resources of a bigger company, um, so. Uh, obviously, putting an offer that's compelling it can be quite difficult, and everyone's trying to sell the, sell the same dream of you know you're going to be working in a small company, make an impact, and we're going to make it big, all that. But everyone else saying the same thing, so mm. it's probably hardly convincing to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. to anyone. So there's that, um, and yeah, especially in the last you know decade, there's been millions of other startups popping sure. up everywhere, right? So it's it's quite a competitive space. Um, and yeah, just also you know being lucky with the timing because you know you might be putting an ad up just as someone great took up an offer before, or or the other way around when you know when you find someone you're like yeah they seem okay but maybe we w- should wait because there might be someone better after you know this uh, this is yeah you have to you have to resist this because at some point you just have to make a call and hire someone and get going and yes. and and then of course you know when you hire people it's also well. Always a bit of a gamble, I found, mm-hmm. because sometimes you get someone that looks great on paper and great when you meet them, but they turn out to be not such a good um, worker, or you've got someone who's quite unassuming and they turn out to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's always you know good and bad surprises, and yeah, it's very very hard to judge. Uh, so yeah, so hiring very hard, very hard, yeah, but of course worth it, and you have to do it. Partner, partner with a good recruiter, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then something else that I, that I was thinking um, in terms of lesson is, uh, well, of course, yeah, on the topic of hiring is quality is probably more important than quantity in software, at least. Okay. 
sorry, when you is in the person or the actual in in comedy? persons, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, in terms of in terms of people, uh, because you know you hear about you know these companies raising a ton of money and then hiring hundreds of engineers, yeah, uh, but um, I think and and you know from experience and of myself and a lot of other companies, you know, with a small team, you can you can achieve a lot yeah. uh, if you got you know the right people, the right mindset. Um, the right technology too, because you want you want something that you know helps you be very productive and build very quickly um, with with minimal uh, work. So, yeah, I think you know obviously you do want to hire, but you also don't want to be hiring too much and spending too much time hiring because yeah. if you get you know maybe less people, but the right kind of people that work in that startup environment, you can actually achieve a lot, and and that's what we did. You know, for the first few years, we we caught up. On competitors in terms of product uh, features and you know arguably better, yep. and we were only you know a team of five to ten engineers, and they had ten times more people and sure twenty more years of, of lead on us. Yeah. So such a fascinating point, a topic. Um, I recently read it's a Netflix culture book. I don't know if you've ever read it. Yep. They talk about talent. This exact this is probably the biggest takeaway I took from the book was this exact um, problem they were trying to solve, where they had Heaps of people. Uh, I think Reed Reed um, Hastings talks about it. Uh, in the previous company that heaps of people, but they had to get rid of um, like thirty percent of their staff. And once they did that, they actually realised they kept the better people, but they they created what was known as talent density. And then when they built Netflix, he realised that the power of hiring one or two people that were really good, as opposed to three or four that were just mediocre. And if you were able to do that your talent density of that team could produce results of what you just communicated, yeah. communicated to them and what you just said, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I suppose it's quite hard to, you know, quantify talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's probably not just the people themselves, but also the fact that, yeah, when you're smaller, you can move faster because you get less yeah, overhead, yeah, right? Yeah, sure, yeah, that makes um, sense. Yeah. So, yeah, given the similar quality of people, if you got less people, you can probably still move quite fast. That's um, makes sense as well. But it needs to be, obviously, the same for your product decision-making and, and, and the rest of the business you know, has to be in the same sort of mindset where, you know, we can make decisions fast mm-hmm. and we can iterate and, you know, maybe make mistakes, but then fix them quick as well. So, yeah, I think that applies to the whole business. Um, so that's, yeah, it's a very, very good lesson. That's, that's actually a really good point as well to make your ability to move fast, but also realize that when you do make mistakes, you've got to fix them quickly and have that sort of feedback loop in, in yeah. the process. Yeah. Yeah, and that's very much a factor of the size of the team, right? So, yeah, um, yeah, stay as small as possible, as long as possible, but hire the right people to to enable this. Yeah, so definitely easier said said than done. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, okay, cool. What do you think were, um, you know, touching on that? What, what were the key successful aspects of selling the stream to those people when you when you first bought them? Because you're right, like. Whenever I do talk to startup owners, you're looking to attract top talent. You're not just competing against, you know, other other big players. You're competing against like the Canvas, the Atlassian, all those people who can afford. They've got the deep pockets to pay for that top talent. What were the sort of um, uh, key sales for for the people that when they first joined Stream? Yeah, um, yeah. So as we said, yeah, so it's pretty tricky. But I think it really, at the end of the day, it, it it's really the mindset of people that get. You know, attracted to this sort of yeah small uh, startup environment. Uh, 
because it's a very different experience from you know a much bigger organization with with more resources. So um, yeah, we we you know we were saying exactly that, which others do as well. But this is hey, you're gonna be part of a small team. That means you're gonna have to wear a lot of hats and be involved with many different aspects of, of the product and the technology and there's room to grow. Um, and some people are just, you know, um, really enjoy this and, mm. and end up making fantastic contributions. Um, I guess some of the people might, as a personal thing, rather be in a more structured team where they've got more guidance on what to do or what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not really a hard sell, but it's uh, sending it to saying the right thing to the right person. Yeah, um, yeah that, that worked out pretty well for us, I guess, because I was, you know, I've always, I'm still here very much involved with hiring. Uh, yeah. I do the introduction call myself mm-hmm. uh, and I run people through the product and the business uh, to really show them what they're going to be working on and, and, you know, already maybe give them a bit of an idea of our culture mm-hmm. on, on how we approach technology and, and product. And yeah, some people respond to that really well some yeah. people don't because it's not their thing and that's fine, that's fine. but yeah. just yeah um it's, it's usually a, yeah fairly quick to see yeah, yeah. and having worked with you over the years i always love that part about it because i mean you definitely touched on it it really allows you to you know um overcome those speed times or obstacles straight away so overcoming that mindset approach you're giving the insight you know the cto you spent some time with the, the team throughout its creation you, you you provide that sort of lens into what it's actually like to work there so you're not selling rainbows and unicorns. You're, you're yeah. giving them an actual, you know, um, insight into what it actually is to work at Steam first before moving into that sort of technical yeah. side of things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, I know a lot of hiring processes out there, especially at big companies, they always, you know, focus on, on you know, um, sort of quantitative measurement and unbiased and all that. But when you're a very small team. I felt like it's, it's really the opposite because it's really about how am I going to enjoy working with that person? It is fully biased. Yeah. It's like, so I feel like this is going to be, you know, someone that yeah. I'll, I'll be, yeah, I'll be happy to work with and I'll be happy to work with me too. Yeah. Um, so that's, and that's what you get by having conversation with people, right? So, um, yeah. And I think I can see a lot of it just by having this interaction call where we chat about the business products Some people ask questions. And are interested in it, uh, not just technical of it, or, or some people are just, you know, it's just a job mm. and they don't care too much. Um, so, yeah, you can really see different types and they respond differently to, to, to that um, sort of process. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And it's, yeah, it's usually best to get those things out of the way first as opposed to later on. Because you do, like I do with companies all the time, and a lot of them want to do the, the technical components first and then do that side of things. Right. Whereas I think like you can probably make a safe assumption of the person. Like, so you get a lot more out of doing what we're talking about, the inverse. Yeah, pretty, first. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, and it's pretty quick as well. You, you know, you can quickly, when you meet someone, you, they get an idea of you, you get an idea of them, yeah. which often is, at least from a cultural point of view, uh, right. From a technical point of view, of course, yeah, it's, it's a bit, yeah, you need to, yeah, uh, do something more. Um, so we do technical exercises. Yeah. Uh, and I always insist on exercise. It's not a challenge. It's not meant to be hard. It's meant to be realistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it goes both that. ways. It gives them an idea you of what we a, do. <laughs> you did make a point of that through the process with me. I you did, I did. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I think it's important. Uh, and yeah, that helps, you know, 
yeah, give them an idea of what we do, give us an idea of how they approach things, and we make it realistic to be something that similar to what we do every day. Yeah, uh, and that works out quite well. And then we use it as a base for a code review that is a conversation. Um, and there's no right or wrong answer to that technical exercise. It's really, you know, depending on their experience and what they've seen and done before, or if they're coming from different technological background. Um, it's just yeah, really a way to see how do they approach things, how do they figure things out. Mm. And, and get to a result. Um, yeah, so that works well for us. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Else. I think it's, um, yeah, there's a lot to sort of unpack around that sort of interview style around how people approach things and what, what you touched on there. I love that it's a right or wrong answer. It's just how you do it. And if you're able to articulate that properly, you, it sounds like there's a conversation to be had and there's always like a, a bit of a learning curve from each side. If there was something done differently but done well, you could yeah. probably approach that. As Absolutely, well. yeah. 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 It's always interesting to see how people come up with the results. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, what do you think um, are the most important business lessons you've learned as a CTO? Yeah, um, I guess the first one is probably very common, but is to say that. Uh, especially as a CTO, so you know, in charge of, of the technology, you always hope, think that okay, there can't be that much more to do. We we built all the features, you know, that should be almost enough, and we should be able to finally you know slow down a bit and take time to revisit all the things we've done before, and you know maybe address some technical bits or refactor or improve performance, uh, but. That never happens, right? Yeah. There's always more things to build, uh, more bug to fix, uh, more features to, uh, to ship to customers. Uh, and it, yeah, it's really the nature of it uh, with software businesses, right? Because the more you give, the more capabilities you give, the more ideas people come back with, and you can always do more. Uh, so it's very important to be able to balance the two uh, because there's, yeah, there's never going to be a time where you can uh, you know, sit down and, and, and focus on this. Um, and and that's I think that's a really critical part of the role, um, which I always um, try to to yeah to put effort in is balancing all this demand from the business uh, and making sure of course we deliver to to you know customers and sales, but while spending the time to make sure we maintain a good code base, mm. good tooling, we keep everything in in good shape so we can stay productive. Uh, because that's what happens right, when you take shortcuts. It's quicker in the short term, but over a long period of time, you might end up with very overly complex systems that are hard to maintain. And it, you know, it slows you down and makes it harder for engineers to work. So yeah, balancing this, um, this under the hood work with, with you know, all the more visible things um, is, is not easy, but very, very important. Mm -hmm. um, and often, you know, yeah, you don't even explain that to the non-tech sort of a business, you just, you just have to do it, yep. uh, even if it slows you down. Um, so that's one big one. Yeah. Um, and maybe a more personal one, personal lesson here um, is, you know, being not thrown, but growing into this role of, of, of you know, main technical person, so uh, um, CTO was obviously, um, quite challenging because it's not something I've done before. I just came from a yeah, software engineering background, uh, having worked in an agency as a developer for a while. Yeah. And, and so, of course, you got all these 
pressure from being in a, in a small business that is growing fast. So you, you got, you know, a question from the salespeople, a question from the customer support, and it was like, hey, it, um, are we doing the right thing? Do we have the right engineers? Do we have the right processes? And can, should we do things differently? Or, and that also even, you know, it questions everything you do right. and makes you question yourself as well. Like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. am I the right person? Do I have the right experience? Yeah. And it, it can be, uh, you know, it can make things maybe a bit, a bit lonely because as a founder on the business side of things, I guess you interact a lot with other business people. This is the nature of, nature of the job, right? Uh, selling and, and, and networking. But on the tech side, it's, it's a bit more lonely because you mostly deal with technology. Um, so there's a lot of resources out there. You know, I was reading a lot of blog posts and hacking news discussions and forums and, you know, about technology leadership and hiring and, and product and, and, and managing um, uh, all these things together. But yeah, it does make you question yourself and, and everyone else obviously can probably feel you don't have maybe not that much confidence. Yeah. So they, they do question it. Um, so yeah, that, that can be quite, that could, that was maybe, you know, quite tough on some occasions. Um, but then over the years, as we, you know, the business got more successful, successful and, and the team grew and we managed to, yeah, um, make a really compelling product. Um, I guess it you know, buys you more street cred and, yeah. and, and, and also more confidence in, you know, what we're doing is right. Um, and then when there's more questions coming, we're like, well, no, we've got this opinion. We're doing things this way because, you know. Clearly it works because mm -hmm. it's been working for the last few years, but uh, maybe it's also an enduring mindset thing where you're always questioning, is there a better way of doing things? So is there a better way of, mm -hmm. of managing a team? Is there a better way of leading technology? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was a, a very, I think a very good um, lesson, um, you know, growing from an enduring role to a, a leadership role. And, and at the same time, I was always um, uh, trying to stay very connected to the team and you know, not become one of these far away, um, you know, manager who's never really uh, working uh, closely sure. with everyone. I think it's very important to yes, stay, be, be that in between the business side and technology side, but obviously still be uh, fully involved in the, in the technology and, and coding day to day. Yeah, so you have an understanding of what your, your people are going through yeah. day to day. Yeah, yeah I think, um, yeah, I'll so tune into what you were just saying then. Um, and if I'm listening correctly, would you would you call what you experienced during that time a bit of like imposter syndrome as you go into that role? Um, not necessarily. I know, I know it's a big topic often. Yeah, it's a huge uh, topic, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess that's, that's a bit of it. Uh, that's all right, that's all right. And you, you, you said like over time, I mean, yeah. you know, like, like a weightlifter at the gym, it's just, you know, over time you, you develop a resistance and then you grow bigger muscles, you can lift heavier weights, everything becomes a bit, bit better, yeah, you're more and, confident. And, yeah, more proven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, in those early days, what was it that you did or that you could attribute to that allowed you to, to keep going and move forward? And give you that confidence. Yeah, I, I suppose a lot of gut feel. Yeah, you know, from from you know all the work I've done in the past, I've built some opinions on what works or what feels like the right way to do things. So yeah, for me it was really always you know making sure we on on the technology side, you know, making things work well and uh, neat and tidy and 
easy to work with and keep us productive. So, you know, having the good tooling, having good code base, uh, which is in a, a, yeah. a full topic, but, you know, what keeping, yeah, keeping code easy to follow and understand so people can jump in. Um, uh, you know, I think it's sort of opinions on, yeah, what do you need to document or not? Uh, how do you deploy? How do you review code? Uh, so yeah, building all this all the time, um, yeah, based on a lot of gut feel, mm. um, but also yeah, trying to to learn and read from other people's experience um, on the internet or in person sometimes. Mm. Um, so that 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 yeah, that helps. Um, and seeing that yeah, things work and you know, people have hired stuck around. Uh, yeah, we we still have our first engineer that we hired. You know. Um, the, the very first uh, day six years ago, wow. uh, he's still with That's us. He's, he's, yeah. Um, and yeah, we've got very good uh, retention, which you know, to me was especially in this industry where people tend to move around a lot, yeah, yeah. Uh, was a very strong signal. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, we're doing something right. Uh, and then yeah, I think as a funny anecdote, also getting validation from uh, we ended up. You know, hiring staff, non-technical staff, so customer support or sales that worked at our competitors. Mm -hmm. And when they came in and they saw all the internal tools we had, they were very impressed right? and said, yeah. oh, this is so much easier, so much better than what we had. So that's not something you expect or, or can measure, but that was very good to hear. And it did, you know, indicate to me like, well, we're doing something right because, you know, our own employees that have got experience with other uh, similar businesses see the difference. Yeah. So that's very powerful thing as, a, as an engineer, like you feel like, okay, you're making a difference. Yeah. Um, especially for internal tools, because that's something that is not very visible mm -hmm. and it's not really something you market or you talk about too much, but I think that makes a huge difference to the business. And I was, you know, um, made sure that we put some effort into this because, yeah, I feel that's very important, uh, often underrated. So, yeah. enough. so if I'm listening correctly, it sounded like that, you know, during those moments, you sort of, fell back on your own internal belief and foundation of your own ability to be a good software developer and doing those coding practices and that's sort of yeah. as the right foundation of building that team in sense which led to building a product. And then when you hired people that actually use the product, not just from the engineering point of view, but the customer service from the competitors and stuff like that, that got reinforced. Yes. By actually, oh holy shit, this is actually some pretty good stuff we're doing here. Exactly right. Like yeah. The snowboard. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, no, it's very, very powerful because often as a yeah, software engineer or, you know, in a startup, you very much, you know, head down deep in things. You never really take the time to uh, step back and look at what you built. You're always like thinking about fixing bugs or yeah. changes. You always think the, the defect in what you build, you know, people look at your products and say, oh, it's great, but you only see the, what's wrong with it. Um, yeah. So it, having, you know, external people telling you, hey, what you've done is great, is obviously a, yeah. a very uh, big validation that helps you build confidence that you're doing things right. Yeah, right. Nice. Um, that engineering mindset allows you to build a great quality product, but can be a yeah. nightmare sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. Oh, how good, how good. All right, could we actually, we next question I think we, we touched on the board. Um, actually, you know what? Describe that engineering culture at Stream. So, yeah, yeah, we'll sort of touch on it a little bit, but how would you describe it and how... How do you crafted it and how do you keep it? Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good and important question. Uh, culture. Uh, a lot of you know, companies talk about culture. Mm. Uh, it's very hard to describe, I'd say, because especially at that scale, I think, you know, yeah, it's probably obvious, but a lot of it comes down to 
my own personality and, and the way I do things, right? Because I, I started it and that transparency in, in the processes and the code and the tools, right? Um, so yeah, I guess I would describe it as pretty, pretty relaxed, pretty <laughs> casual. You know, I've never been one for too much formalities yeah. or processes, but at the same time, I really do care on yeah, quality uh, and keeping things in good shape um, mm. because it makes you know work more enjoyable and, and, and it makes our life easier for the time. So making sure we, we don't we move fast, but we don't rush. Uh, if, if you see I what I mean, <laughs> this is my quote for the yeah, that is, that is <laughs> a quote. The it's got on the title. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that's you know the things I care about. Uh, maybe I got a few more notes here that right. together, but um, quality and moving fast, but we don't. Yeah, get, getting things done, moving fast, but in a sustainable way. So putting together good quality, good quality code and tooling that makes all life easier, our systems better. So. Yeah, my goal really with the culture is to keep engineers happy, including myself, because happy engineers are productive engineers, right? Okay. Is there some other question? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's some <laughs> nuggets of gold. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I do encourage such culture. Right? I wouldn't say craft it, but I do encourage it by my own actions, which is, you know, I still, as I was saying, I still spend a lot of time working directly with the rest of the team, coding. Um, there's, there's definitely been discussions I've come across on the internet about whether, you know, engineering leadership um, people in this role should or should not uh, yep. keep coding. Um, I'm definitely in the camp of I should everyone should still be coding because, yep. you know, my thing is like if you're not down in the trenches with the guys, if you don't feel their pain, it's very hard to be a good leader because it's very hard to prioritize things if you don't experience it yourself. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could have great people that you trust to bring things back up to you and make decisions from that. And, and we do have this and that's great. But I feel like yeah, being really, seeing it, you know, yourself is, is very powerful. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so I encourage this by yeah, being very involved in code reviews and, and in, um, you know, architectural decisions and, you know, spending time turning things around. So what, what a, think the way we work and what I like to do is making sure engineering can focus on, on what they're building, not being distracted. That's, that's a very big thing that we know for productivity, right? Yep. And it's difficult in a, in a uh, small startup where there's a lot of demands and changing things. So we are making sure they can focus and that means I need to be the buffer that can handle everything that comes at them. So yep. if there's little bugs or issues or questions, I can be yep. answering these so I can sort of shield people so they can remain focused and productive. Uh, and to be able to do this, obviously, I need to be um, up to date with everything. I need to be on top of, of the code base, right? Uh, so yeah, I need to be, still be working. Maybe not working on critical projects with you know um, risky timelines, but at least being available so I can yeah I can help with all of this. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, that, I think that works well because that uh, encourages other people to do the same as well. Um, you know, keeping the bar high in terms of quality and in terms of improving things. So I always encourage people, yeah, to to uh, scratch your own hitch, right? That's the way. Well, so sorry, scratch your scratch your own back. Itch, or, scratch your own itch, right? Your own, yeah. 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 You know, if you see something that's not great, well. Do you can fix it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I make sure. Yeah, you can raise it to me, and I say, yeah, take the time to fix it because. Mm. If that's annoying to you, or well, you can do it better, that's 
surely it's going to help other people as well. Sure. Uh, so yeah, there's this culture as well of you know taking the time to take a step aside and and make something better uh, while you're working on something else. Um, so yeah, that's that's really I think the the culture we've got and that grew from that and and culture then gets you know enriched by other people as well. Yeah. So if you're um, doing that, other people will do it. And that's, yeah, yeah. That's the idea. Of yeah, that, yeah. You know, I think most of the people who hired fit in this sort of uh, mindset as well. They, they love to learn. They love to figure things out. They yeah. love to improve things. Um, so that's, that's what we do. Um, and uh, yeah, a good example of that, um, I think, well, no, what I was going to say is actually also what's really important is not so much the, well, it's important the engineering culture, but the engineering culture as in the relationship with the non-engineering side of the sure. business, yep. of the rest of the business, so typically sales and customer support. And that is uh, very, very critical to uh, the success of business and I guess the you know, happiness of the engineering team. Uh, because a lot of companies, probably more so the bigger companies, but end up having you know, it's quite disconnected engineering teams from the business. So, you, so it, it, it fosters this you know, us versus them mentality which right. is obviously very unhealthy because, you know, in, in your day-to-day -day job, whether you're technical or not technical, you always have pressure and frustration. So if you don't have a, a strong relationship and strong connection with the other side, mm -hmm. it's, it's very natural human nature of, you know, just blaming the other guys for not doing the job properly or something like this. And, and that's, of course, very uh, detrimental to the success of business, right? So building a culture a business culture, a whole business culture where engineering and sales and customer support and product are all very close together and know each other and, and have each other back, it, it, I think is very critical and that's something we always put a lot of effort in, uh, into a, a stream throughout the years. Um, and yeah, and that goes, you know, in little day-to-day -day things where, where you see people interacting, um, you know, we obviously provide uh, support to our customers via our own staff, right? They ask, yeah, there's an issue, and then they communicate back to us, and we try to help them. So making sure that communication is, you know, positive and, and, and helpful, uh, yeah. and not just, you know, um, uh, shifting blame. Um, and sharing successes um, on both sides very important as well. So, yeah, but, you know, typical examples of what we do, um, to help with this, so we've got a help desk uh, channel on our Slack where our own staff can post when they got issues, uh, whether it comes from customers or what the tools they use. And then we've got one engineer, one engineer on duty every day whose role is to triage and fix if it isn't fixed, or at yeah. least investigate and pass that on to relevant people. And and it can be uh, you know pretty intense, but also it's a fantastic way of. Well, first, you know, um, getting engineers to be exposed to more areas of the code base and the business that they're not familiar with. Yeah. And it helps them build, you know, some sort of empathy with um, the non-technical staff because they get to see, okay, what problems they're facing and then they get to communicate with them. And the fact that it's chat and not, you know, a ticketing system, I think is very important as well because you get this quick communication that's a bit more, you know, natural because when you investigate an issue as an engineer, you want to understand what's what's you know what's the context what, what are the details what was the person trying to do what was what went wrong uh, so it needs to be fast it needs to be chat it needs to be detailed and it needs to be yeah just uh, good communication yep. like you know uh, positive and, and healthy so that 
very important here to uh, encourage this and also to make sure you hire people that are going to be helpful on, on both sides, right? You don't want an engineer to say, hey, you're stupid, you're not doing it right. Engineer <laughs> uh, to understand, okay, what is this person doing yeah. and, and, and why did they get to that issue? Uh, so that's one way. And yeah, keep going, sorry. Yeah, sorry. And the other way I was going to say is, you know, when, when we release some improvements, updates where we got a Slack channel as well, where our own engineers can, um, you know, make an announcement and say, hey, guys, I work on this and this is now out and you can use it this way. And it's very important that this is the engineer themselves. Yes. As we said, and not a team lead or a manager or a product manager because they've done the work. We want them to display pride in this and then showcase it to the world. Yep. Uh, in, in a way, so they get credit for it and their name gets associated to, hey, they built that cool feature that's helping my customer when I'm a, a customer support. So that's, that's very positive as well. So we try to yeah, keep encouraging this. Yeah, okay, cool. So it sounds like you guys implemented like a, a way of incorporating site with that continuous feedback loop between your customer service and your engineering team when problems arise, yeah. as opposed to having some sort of break in chain and like, all right, cool, it's a problem, we'll get it fixed later or something like that. But if it's something that's little at the time or something that can be fixed, it can be fixed then. Yeah. And that, that allows, there's, so you, that must take up time of an engineer. Is that like a dedicated time? Yes. That's probably why we've got the, the, the WA space and the, the NZ space, is it right? Because you've got the customers and... Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Time. different time zones to cover. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, that's helpful for that. Uh, well, I guess for, for any any situation, any business. But yeah, no, our particular, yeah, and it's a cultural thing as well, I guess. The culture, for, yeah. for the business, yeah. like we fix things quick. Yeah. Uh, if there's an issue, um, we, we get onto it. We don't want to leave any broken windows behind. I, I, I am a very strong believer in that broken window theory. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. But, um, someone did some research. Um, years ago and that applies to software really well where if you got a neighborhood where there's a broken window or a car yeah, with a broken window, yeah. People on. will tend to break things, like not care, not look after things too much after. But if everything is in pristine condition, yep. people will care more about everything else. Yep. That's uh, right. And that applies uh, massively to software and product. Um, so yeah, it's, we always try to fix things as soon as we know there's something wrong, uh, it's almost more important than releasing a new feature is fixing yep. bugs and issues. Um, and that, yeah, that's what I spend a lot of time doing myself for yep. my own team, make sure we don't leave any broken windows behind. Love that. Uh, so they always, so it also encourage them to you know, uh, not do that themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I love that, I love that. I think it goes on that, that social proof aspect, but yeah, um, the, 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 um, uh, and then you, you just prompted a thing. I remember how they started cleaning out um, ghetto neighborhoods in New York City was what they would do was revamp the um, the playgrounds. Yeah. Because no one was using them, but there was people there. So they revamped the playgrounds, clean up all the, the burnout cars they and, and clean up all of that. And then all of the buildings around it, they would do the windows because they were all broken. And as soon as that started to happen, because people would go use the playgrounds and it was slowly started snowballing about them, their own fixing them themselves and stuff like that. Right, okay. And that was, yeah, it was a big thing about having that display of this is a neighborhood that's worth living in. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly right, yeah. And so it applies very well to a code base where if you see it's a mess, you're not going to really care too much about adding more mess. Yeah. But if, if it's in as close to perfection as possible, well, you're going to try to... Keep it up yeah. to that standard. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah. No, I love it. And I love important. the other fact about having the engineers speak about um, taking pride in the work and, and speaking that to the, the rest of the team yeah. as well. 
yeah so encouraging the boys in standing yeah absolutely yeah no, it's a massive thing for us and uh yeah it's part of the hiring you know when i expand that i say yeah we don't want as i was saying before cut monkeys we want people to understand the business understand the product understand that their value is helping solving people's problem yeah um so that's very important to that they understand and that they show what they've done to help with that. Yeah, uh, helps with their own communication skills as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, with the business, which yeah of course, yeah, you know, some people naturally are good at this, yeah. some need a bit more help, uh, but I think it's a healthy thing to do and it's very positive for everyone. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right, um, okay, cool. Well, look, we also want to talk about um, streams. So you've got a hybrid working environment, okay? So coming out of COVID, you know, where a lot of space that I saw, particularly in the technology market where where, where stream is like we do review rail space is a little bit like remote we can people from hiring for you guys like a lot of remote roles um and then like to push up people coming back in the office as well now so i think like with your business where where does it see like what's the benefit of having a, a hybrid working environment for you yeah yeah it's a million dollar question these days right <laughs> it um, is. well what's the benefit uh the benefit of that is you probably i don't think anyone could hire any engineer, if they don't refer that. Yes, So we got a false to, uh, but that's fine. Um, yeah, um, it, yeah. That's a question a lot of business uh, owners mind, right? And and of course, when you know after COVID uh, sort of uh, died down a bit, uh, yeah, we had a lot of our uh, execs, our team is trying to get people back in. But I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we realize. The office in itself is a benefit. Yeah. On top of the base, sort of a level which is working from home. Uh, right. So some people enjoy the benefit, some yeah. people don't care for it, and that's fine, right? Okay. Um, and, you know, personally, I do like being at the office. I, I don't know, I don't really like staying at home too yeah. long. Yeah, 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 sure. It gets a bit lonely and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and doing video that. calls all day it just does my head. Uh, like, you know, I think. Mean, I, I do, um, you know, I guess, build energy from being in a room with other people, mm-hmm. even though it might be quiet and, and, and productive. Uh, it's just nice to have people around, but some people are very happy to be at home and they're doing really great work, so it's not an issue at all for us. Um, mm-hmm. It's definitely easier to onboard people when they're around in the same room. Yep. Uh, so we do encourage uh, new, new starters uh, to come as much as possible. And if they are in remote locations, so we've got... Uh, staff in yeah Western Australia or New Zealand, we do fly them over and make sure you know they spend a, a week or two getting to know other yeah, people, okay. getting to know the business. Um, yeah, it gets back to this point of I feel like to be a, a good engineer, you need to understand how the rest of the business work, uh, what you know what's what's happening in the life of other people. Uh, so it's obviously a lot easier to do that when when you're in the same room. But at the same time, yeah, as, as soon as you got this uh, experience and you're up to speed, uh, yeah, there's no reason that would prevent you from working remotely and that works really well. Some of our uh, best engineers that have been uh, streaming for a long time and now, you know, they, they live quite far, so they only come every now and then yeah, to, sure. to catch up. But uh, yeah, it's not a problem at all. We're very happy to offer that. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I suppose that also, uh, goes into the idea that if as a team leader or manager you, you're quite remote, you don't really see, you're not really involved with the day-to-day work, it's hard to know if your people are doing well or not. So you sort of want them to be closer to 
you know, not me, I micromanage, but that's what yeah, people end up doing. But if you're, I, and I try to be yeah, really across what's happening and, and do some work myself, like I, I get a really good feel of, you know, who's, how everyone's doing mm. and are they uh, productive, are they blocked, are they happy? Yeah. Um, so I, they don't need to be in the same room. I, I get that from, from being close to them, yeah. working closely with them. Do you think, think that it's easier or harder for people to um, come to you like with, with, with those sort of issues or problems in a remote environment or in a, you know, an office? Sort of thing, like if someone was experiencing a problem or yeah. struggling with it, like it's not as opposed to like you picking up on it. But like if I were, like if I were to come to you, if I was your engineer, but yeah, no, oh, yeah, well, yeah, it's definitely harder, right? Because it's it's you know, software. Uh, uh, like I said, at the end of the day is all about communication, right? Sure. Communicating yeah. prob like the business uh, problems we're to solve, communicating the solution, communicating. You know, the software is a description of what you want to automate in your business processes. So it's 100% about communication. It's, it's a language, right? We code with the language. Yeah, yeah. So of course, communication is, is uh, a bit more tedious when you're not in the same room. Right? It's, no, it's never faster than just turning around asking a question to, to someone. But at the same time, um, written communication is good because it sticks around. Yes. <laughs> so it's not bad either to, to have things in writing. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Yeah, it's all about finding the right balance, uh, I suppose, um, between, yeah, when you're remote, it's, it's a bit harder, but um, you need to maybe focus more on getting to the point and, and, and really communicating well, uh, because it takes more effort. Yep. Um, if you're in the office, you can chit chat and, 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 and discuss things, um, you know, a bit more freely uh, mm. if, you're, if you're remote, because it's harder, it takes more effort to get on the call or to write things on, you need to really be focusing on that. And that's a very important thing that we do look at when we hire uh, engineers is yeah, communication in the sense of are they able to really explain things well to different level of technicality. So if you're communicating with someone, obviously from the same team, it mm -hmm. can be very technical, but if you're communicating with someone from the customer support or from sales, can you adjust your level of, of tech uh, speak? Yeah, tech yeah, speak yeah. to, to, uh, to make sure your communication flows well. That's not always easy and, sure. and some people do it better than others. So, uh, and it's something you can train, of course. So yeah. I think it's very important. I always try to pay attention to that myself when I speak with non-technical stakeholders. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, it's definitely harder, yeah, okay. but it's trade-offs, right? It's trade -off, like, there's yeah. benefits to, uh, to being remote and hybrid and there's benefits to being in the office yeah. uh, and there's pros and cons to both, yeah. Okay, okay, cool. Nice. All right. Um, yeah, coming to the end. So you guys have recently exited to Cision. Am I pronouncing that right? Cision. Cision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cision. Uh, American company, right? Yes. Yes. So congratulations, mate. That's um, it's insane. I don't look just to see a startup be successful is, is a massive win, but to see an exit is, is insane. And you guys are still relatively young in start like eight years now. Or? Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, eight years of a next success. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. yeah. Like, but. <laughs> It is in startling. Like it's to see an exit in that amount of time is is pretty pretty rare. Like and I've seen you know been recruiting for them for ten years. So right, yeah. Well no, thanks. Yeah, that's, that's that's yeah, that's great. Very happy, very happy with that. Um, and you know, I wouldn't really say it's an exit. Well, I guess it it's is an for, exit? Oh, okay. for for you know investors who need a return on their investment. <laughs> um, uh, rightfully so. But yeah. uh, no, I mean the business is still growing. The brand is staying. Um, the staff cool. are staying as well, so it's really uh, an, 
an acquisition that was, you know, um, additive, not we're not merging and, and, and sure. you know letting people go on other side. So yeah, Cision um, is uh, the I think the biggest buy market share uh, leader in the media marketing space in the world. Oh right, uh, okay. and they've got yeah very strong presence in Europe and in the US, uh, well the whole of uh, yeah the Americas, um, and they didn't have any uh, in in Australia, uh, Asia Pacific. Uh, so yeah, they felt like a, a good fit from a business point of view. And from a technical point of view as well, you know, they've been really great to work with. Uh, you know, they got obviously a lot of good technology, uh, a lot of content, uh, access to yeah, most content around the world and very rich databases of, of um, uh, journalist contacts, uh, because that's something that's valuable to our customers as well. So there's really yeah, some, some benefits to both. Uh, we can help them with, with, uh, with our own product that we can roll out in other countries that they don't operate in with uh, already. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty good partner for us, uh, and yeah, it's a very positive uh, relationship, and uh, yeah, we're very excited to work more closely with their engineering teams. Uh, we're trying, obviously, that's you know different times on different countries, yeah. so it's yeah, uh, a bit more difficult, but uh, yeah, very very positive. That's awesome, mate. Really well done. And congratulations again. All right, cool. All right, um, yeah, coming to the end, so. Uh, you're a dad, I'm a dad. I, you know, I think we like bonded at the same time. Well, I had my first child, and I think you're having your second child at the same time. And um, yeah. yeah, I think I learned a lot becoming a dad, <laughs> and I, I know you definitely have. But what do you think, um, uh, you know, how has being a dad, what has it taught you to be um, uh, a better leader in the business? Right, okay. Yeah. That's, that's a tricky, suppressed question. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it in there, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I've been such a good dad because you know ah. <laughs> I find that, you know, it's never the right time uh, to to uh, have, a, have a kid. But yeah, uh, for context, our first child was born uh, about two months in uh, launching the business. Wow! Uh, so that was pretty pretty rough. And uh, my partner and myself are not from Australia, so we don't really have family around. So yeah. it was uh, yeah, so it was quite difficult. You know, yeah. I spent my nights fixing fires on the servers and uh, and giving. Milk, yeah, nappy changes, <laughs> nappy yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose you know, uh, when you do have a kid, you realize how uh, easy work is, <laughs> yeah, I never realized makes things a lot more enjoyable, happened. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, yeah, it's, it's fantastic, but it's a pretty, uh, yeah, it's a pretty tough experience, uh, uh, and I'm almost surprised that we made it so far as a species. <laughs> How did we survive? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, yeah, how much work that requires compared to other animals. Yeah. <laughs> I always joke, you know, you go to the, you, you watch animal documentaries on TV and this little giraffe drops from two meters <laughs> and then starts running because the lion's coming for her. And, yeah. you know, all the other ones, they take like years uh, before they can do anything. Uh-huh. But, you know, they're very cute. So. They're very cute. Yeah, yeah, That's the reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there's any lesson here that made me a... Uh, better in my career, but yeah, balancing priorities and, and uh, you know, yeah, making sure you, you keep time for, for what really matters. Um, That's a great one. At the end of the day, you know, yeah. family and, and, you know, having good relationship with, yeah, your friends, your family and people at work too, because, yeah. you know, it's, it's a job, but you want to make it enjoyable. Um, That's great. Yeah. So balance, taking that balance, yeah, and putting on priorities of what really matters.
Yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. I appreciate it. All right, all right. These questions you're not prepared for, all right? So, another one. Yeah, oh, we've got a few. We've got a few. Who has been the most influential person in your career and why? You can take a minute to think about this. This is all right. Yeah. Why? Well, would have to take a minute. Yeah. Um, anyone? Well, yeah, there's different. Uh, I'd say it's hard to say mm. the single one that is a different person for different. Uh, reasons, right? Uh, there's, you know, when I did an internship, uh, my lead in France, uh, yeah, in yep. France at yep. the time, uh, he's the one who introduced me to uh, Ruby on Rails, and and which really made me enjoy, you know, building web applications and software. So that was pretty, I guess, pretty important part of my career because yeah, that's sure. what I used later when I was doing my side projects and when I did side projects, as I got more experience. And when I got experience, I could you know, then uh, feel confident enough to Huge work with someone in the business. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, of course, you know, my, my business partner, Elgar, um, wouldn't be here without him. Like, yeah. he, he, you know, he, he initiated this, uh, this ID and then this project that became a business. And, and you know, he definitely uh, put a lot of his life into it. Um, and, yeah, we wouldn't have gotten to where we are now without him. So... Uh, that would be definitely, yeah. and that obviously impact my career as a software engineer um, sure. because I got the opportunity to yet yeah, become a um, a technology leader uh, and 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 work on this company that got successful and yeah, fantastic, mate. Yeah. yeah, big shout out to Edgar. Edgar, yeah. Elgar. 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 All right. Um, favorite leadership book? Do you have one? Have I even read a leadership? Have you, book? Read, <laughs> have you read any leadership books? Fair enough. Any? I've read like, a lot of leadership. You know, leadership blogs and forums. And, yeah. uh, what about tech? I'm not even sure if you, other than, uh, you know, how to become a dad. Or, yeah. 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 <laughs> I guess also leadership in, in a sense. Um, yeah, no, I haven't had too much time to read books in the last uh, decade or so. Fair uh, enough. Sadly. Yeah. But Anything I do read a lot every day on the internet. Sorry, what was the other question? No, no, no. I was just going to say, um, well, if you're reading, like, is there any like a particular blogger or, or something like that that you follow that in regards to like leading tech teams or? That you sort of pulled that information from? Um, I don't think I could even name one by name, but yeah. I do spend a lot of time on Hacker News, and there's always fantastic insight and input uh, from people around all sort of topics, and a lot of, a lot of it, yeah. Hacker News. Yeah, Hacker News, yeah, with, yep. with leadership. And, and it's great because you get this mix of people that are working at startups or working at you know big, uh, large tech companies, and and often very well uh, thought through answers to all these questions around, yeah, you know, how to, how to, how to hire, how to manage a team, how to pick a technology. Uh, and yeah, I always found that very, very helpful. So I get the, you know, weekly updates and I always spend my Friday night. Uh, Fair enough. You know, when I'm waiting for the kids to fall asleep, it's <laughs> fun just like, <laughs> scrolling through. Skilling from hacking. Uh, and all, yeah, and all of that always leads to blogs and, and things. And yeah, some, there's some fantastic uh, resources out there, people sharing the experience. That's always very, very good. Um, now that's great, man. That's great. Um, what about, so I think that's probably something potentially, um, you know, sort of habit that you do, but what habits do you think, do you, consistently do that contributes to your success in your role as a CTO? Right. Um, 
cycle to work every day. I take a cold shower to wake me up. No, <laughs> stop it. Do you really? That's what you do, yeah. You do? You take yeah. a cold shower? Even in winter, yeah. yeah. Yes, you know, mate. Someone on the internet said I used good. to do that. The Wim Hof method. I used Is that to what it is? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but then I, I do it every summer and I'm like, yeah. And then if I go surfing, I don't worry. But, um, and then in winter, I'm like, ah, oh, nah. I ain't doing it. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I don't know if that's a reason of success, but you know, that helps to, uh, it definitely gives you a bold to, uh, energy. Yeah, you get yeah. a bit of energy when you're tired after a oh, short night with the kids. 100%. Um, Cold shower every morning, you do that? It's 100% a good habit, yeah. What's that? Thing? You act- actually do that. Yeah. Cold shower every morning. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> um, yeah, because you know, I try to cycle really fast, so I'm still hot. Yep. By the time I shower. I know what do I do. Um, I always update all the dependencies of our systems, all the software libraries. I keep everything up to date. That's my little thing. Yep, that's your little uh, thing. Whenever something new, you know, I'm, I love a new shiny thing, you do? and yeah, yeah. I always try to update things as quick as possible. Um, <laughs> so staying which, up to date with technology, and then yeah, which you know can sometimes be uh, causing issues uh, when there's you know uh, bugs or thing in there. But no, I think overall it uh, no, I mean it's a, it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek one, but. It helps, you know, this color. Uh, yeah, you want to use uh, the latest stuff because you benefit from it. Because you know, this. I mean, we use probably like most companies these days a, a ton of open source software, and this is such an incredible amount of brain power that people from all over the world are putting, you know, together into software that's freely available for anyone to use sure. to build on top of, and that's absolutely fantastic. So um, yeah, a lot of that software, you know, keeps being improved every day by people. You know, dedicate their yeah. some of their life to that, um, and so it's great to benefit from this to get you know better performance, better figures, uh, and so it's good for the business, mm-hmm. uh, but it's good for technology as well. And it's always, as an engineer, you know, more exciting to work on recent things than on legacy stuff as well. Yeah. And it's not always easy to do because you always have other priorities, and, and, yeah. and um, but taking the time to yeah do that, uh, it's part of the general sort of you know, um, hygiene of software, but taking the time to keep things up to date, I think helps uh, keeping happy engineers, which yeah, helps yeah, in my... <laughs> no, that's great <laughs> as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, so leveraging. One. I don't know if there's anything more. No, that's great. That's all good, man. Well, I, 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 was happy, I was having the cold shower. But leveraging off that community of, um, so keeping that software up to date with... Um, yeah, um, people doing fantastic things. So yeah. it's great to uh, always yeah, benefit from it. Fantastic, fantastic. All right, cool. All right, some pretty fun ones here. All right, as a French Australian, you're Australian yep. now? Or you're Australian? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mate. Uh, <laughs> what were your feelings when the Oscar deal, <laughs> the deal shafted Macron? <laughs> How did you feel about that? Oh, that one. Yeah. Uh, oh, I love this answer. You know, where it's sort of mentioned. Um, Oh, you're talking about the submarines, right? No, yeah, the submarines, yeah, exactly. What happened? Yeah, how did you feel about that? Well, without getting into politics, you know, the leader, the prime minister of Australia at the time. Yeah, Scummer. Yeah, Yeah. you know, we all had our thoughts and opinions of him. (laughs) I did did like that Macron uh, sort of got back to him, you know, by (laughs) clearly stating that he lied and he was not a trustworthy person, which I think might have resonated with a lot of Australians. I think so, at the time, yeah. (laughs) Without, you know, getting to. uh, into that yeah um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well no and as an australian you know, i was a bit pissed that we blew what however many <laughs> billion of dollars on this of taxpayer money yeah um, cool. yeah we could have done better with that i think so yeah i yeah. thought you were going to ask me about the 
the footlog game. It's coming up. That's the, so yeah, oh, that's I, the next question. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I got a few more, but yeah, I mean, we can jump. Are you a Matildas fan? Probably. I am now, yes. Yeah, you are now, yes. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Some care all the way. Yeah, oh, it's cracking. Yeah, um, yeah. Hopefully, you can take away um, the bronze on on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be definitely uh, cheering for them. What was happening? How were you feeling during the game the other night when um, it got down to penalties? What was going? Oh, on? Oh yeah, that was that was pretty intense. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's never it's never pretty when you get down to penalties. <laughs> you know? It can always go either way. So yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, I was you know busy doing some home renovation work at the time or waiting for dinner or something. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to look at it too much. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, to the penalties are okay. Yeah. Penalties you got to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Um, yeah, I think this is a bit of luck involved, right? But yeah. yeah. No, but the, the game, uh, the game, uh, was it two days ago? Yesterday, two days ago. The, the semi-finals? Yeah, I guess England was. That was pretty good. That was great. Yeah, that was a good game. That was a really good game. All right, what about, um, are you excited or annoyed about being able to retire in France at the age of 64? <laughs> this is what he's now. Well, I've never, um, yeah, I've never paid tax in France, so uh, they probably won't want me. Oh, they won't want you. Because <laughs> uh, I only worked here. Uh, mm, no, yeah, I mean, you know, retirement in France is always a good option. I think it's the reason why most of the rich people in the world all the English people always flock to the uh, Riviera in, yeah. in summer. So uh, hopefully, I'll be able to do that soon. You know, when the kids are grown up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and then the last one is the Champs-Élysées a busy street? That's a random question. Uh, yes, it is very much so. <laughs> uh, well, I, that that internship internship I did uh, happened to uh, be on a street that was just next to the Champs-Élysées, and I remember, yeah, especially in winter time before Christmas, all these tourists flocking, and I was just you know trying to leave work and go home. And it was always a nightmare to like have to squeeze through everyone. So yes, it was a very busy place. It was very busy. All right, thank you, Art. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> All right, mate. That's it. Thanks so much. Oh, that was that was great. Oh, that was that was really good. Awesome. I really appreciate Thanks your time. Thanks, Art. Thanks, Art. Yes. Thank you.